where most of this crowd equity is landing is the fascinating part about where the economy has gone. We went from hyper-local to hyper-global to now being this sort of mishmash of, of local, right? It's global and local. We're using these huge global platforms to invest in literally a ski resort two miles down the road from me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Impact Studios podcast series here at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business. I'm your host, Jerry Davis, faculty director of the Impact Studio, where we harness design and business acumen to create equitable, sustainable solutions for organizations. Creating a business today requires a radically different set of activities than it did even 10 years ago. My guest today is Donna Harris, founder and CEO of Builders and Backers. In your view, you know, given your experience, what are the most intriguing innovations that you wished entrepreneurs or mayors or people in the business ecosystem knew about raising capital today that might not have been there five or 10 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I think there's the, so in sort of order of it's ready and accessible now versus it's not quite ready. It's at the like beginning of becoming ready. So crowd equity hands down is the biggest thing that I wish people understood. Right. So if you look at platforms, um, you know, so like Republic, Start Engine, WeFunder, those kinds of platforms, people tend to think about that around like venture capital backable businesses. It's just, you know, sort of making VC backable businesses available to the crowd. But if you go on those platforms, you see breweries, restaurants. I just invested in an Alpine indoor skiing company that's popping up here in Fairfax. Like it's a lot of real estate. So it's actually not on most of those platforms, most of the deals they're not traditional venture. There are a lot of local consumer facing retail restaurant and real estate kind of deals. And I'm surprised at how infrequently people understand that these platforms are available both to raise money, but also to invest. You don't have to be accredited. Anybody can put in 25 bucks in any one of these ventures. Um, So, you know, I think that is a huge opportunity, but there's also Things like, um, I don't know if you've heard of Local Steak, which is no. one of my favorite. So it's, I think it's just localsteak.com. Uh, lo- yeah, localsteak.com, right? So local businesses and local investors, mobilizing people who live in your community to support things in your community. And so these kinds of platforms, these funding platforms that are engaging the crowd, <clears throat> not in crowdfunding, like, hey, give me your, your money and I'll give you a you know, free t-shirt when my product launches. That's like but, Kickstarter or Indiegogo. Yeah, or not more Kickstarter or a- Indiegogo, but being able to have skin in the game, be able to buy a small slice of these companies that I believe in and help them grow. And what's interesting when you talk to people that are investing in these platforms, you know, they're doing it. Yes, they're trying to make money, but they're also doing it because they care about the issue or they care about the community. They want to see this particular business succeed. And it's a very different mentality yeah. than the traditional investing model. 
And can I ask, why is this coming out now and not 10 years ago? So so here's what happened, right? The Jobs Act passed in what, 2012? And every, you know, big rose garden signing ceremony, I was there, it was awesome. But there were still a ton of rules that had to be made in terms of how that actually would play out. And it took years to get those rules sorted out. In fact, to the degree that some of the vehicles that the, the Jobs Act has made uh, allowable have just very recently finally become vehicles you can use to raise money. It took forever. You know, it took yeah. a good seven, eight years to get that done in terms of like the nits and the nats and to get the SEC on board and filings and requirements and all of that. And so, this is SEC rules and also in some cases like state legislatures or mostly SEC rules, right? Okay. The being able to, you know, what are the classes that you can, how much can you raise with each of the classes? Who can you raise it from? What proportion, dollar limits, all those things. And then they've also made some changes. They've increased dollar limits on some vehicles so that, you know, it now becomes logical for these vehicles to be meaningful amounts of funding, right? Because it costs a lot to do the filings that are necessary, right? So this is why a lot of times these vehicles have been here, but you and I as, you know, everyday people, you have to be pretty smart on the SEC rules. You got to have a great SEC attorney and it's probably going to cost you 50 to 80 grand to do the filings before you actually raise the money. So what has happened is these platforms that are really well-funded, they're actually absorbing those costs because they're taking a slice of the action. So they're charging a fee for you to raise on their platform, but it's not the whole, you know, 50 K of costs. They're charging a fee and then they're taking, you know, 1% of your raise in equity. Crowd loans is the other category that I would put in this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I can send you some examples of ones that we've seen. We're about to invest in one where, you know, in essence, I might want to lend the local small business money. There's no real way for me to do that as an individual, right? It's, I mean, I I could do it. We could write up a contract. We could like figure out how to do it, but how do you do that at scale? And so there's platforms that have emerged that allow that to happen super seamlessly. So, you know, you could come to me and go, Hey, I'd, I'd like to get a loan to do research, to write my next book. And I'll be like, awesome. I'll give you a loan. It executes on the platform. Payments are automatic. Interest is automatically calculated. It's all automated from your account to my account. And so a lot of, I think that is the next category that we're going to see is, you know, how do we use the crowd to be able to access a whole stack of things that can fund interesting local enterprises? Oftentimes ownership isn't the best way to do that. It's basically replacing an institution with the crowd. And you said you're thinking about uh, things that aren't quite online now, but that in the you know in the in the not too distant future we might see some interesting innovations. Could could you say yeah. a word about that? Yeah, this is around uh, around DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. I mean, yeah. love where things are heading hmm. with that. Um, so we're we're um, working and partnered with a group called Open Grants. Hmm that um, is in essence sort of now if you take about you know crowd equity crowd lending this is crowd granting hmm. right and so 
it's really very fascinating to think about like this constitution Dow that, you know, the craziness of like how quickly people could raise money for a thing. $42 million as a gift, as a, as a donation to buy a copy of the constitution. Yeah. And so I, I sort of, I own a piece of it, right. Because we ourselves, right. So you're organizing without an organization, right? Like that's the framework here is that we can come together and we can organize ourselves and we can fund something to own something in a way where there isn't an institution Mm. that is the middleman between us and what we own, Mm. right? And so like, I love a lot of the thinking where around that's heading, Um, but it's not ready for prime time right now because it's very, um, you know, lots of proprietary language, the platforms that you need are complicated. There's, I mean, I'm a relatively smart person and even I have a hard time understanding how some of these things fit together and, you know, to make it accessible for small businesses and startups and everyday people to fund their ventures, it's going to have to be become much more mainstream in how we talk about it and the platforms and tools we use for it. But I don't think we're decades away from that. You know, I think we're, you know, 12 to 24 months away from that becoming a lot more um, accessible at sort of the the beginning edges of the marketplace. You know, we're also seeing um, alternative banks, neo banks, internet banks that are popping up that are providing funding in alternative ways. Right. So, like, if you're if you're a QuickBooks user, you can get funding through QuickBooks. Huh. Right. Like QuickBooks knows your finances; they have access to your PL because you're using their platform. So they've got a funding arm now where, you know, you're like push a button inside QuickBooks and you get a line of credit for your business. So there's a lot of those kinds of like platforms and apps and bank alternatives that, you know, one of the things, and this is why we're on a mission to help community leaders understand these innovations is they're the ones that when I go, oh, I want to start a restaurant or my restaurant is struggling they're talking to the local chamber. They're talking to the small business resource center. They're, you know, who are, who locally understands this stuff to give guidance because for, particularly for small businesses, it's very place-based in terms of where they go to get help. And the local people who are helping them are completely unaware of these innovations. This has been the impact studio podcast until next time. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced in collaboration with Glenn Bugala.